Welcome to the Echo Church Podcast. Echo is a group of people in Cincinnati, Ohio, who love Jesus, love hanging out, and are navigating the ups and downs of our faith together. We're glad you're here. We're now in our series called Journey of the Redeemed. It's a study in the book of Luke, and as we explore the life of Jesus, we also examine our own journeys shaped by him. Hello, friends. I don't know. I don't know if we're the kind of people that make New Year's resolutions. I don't know. I mean, there was a time when we all as a church did like a word of the year. That was pretty cool. I'm not, I don't know, I usually don't like to make resolutions because then I just feel guilty for breaking them or feel bad about myself later. So I tend to have general goals though, you know? So I don't know if you think about goals. Like tends to be maybe some healthier choices, right? I splurged a lot at Christmas, and so January, I'm kind of like, it's time to be healthy again. But it also might be some mental health goals for the year. You know, how do we stay healthy in all the forms? Have you ever thought of ping pong? Is Maybe that's one of your choices this year. That may seem strange to you, but I have learned just how amazing ping pong can be for your body and your mind. Now, I did love ping pong in college because there was a table at the dorm and a friend of mine and I would go down and I got kind of good. I don't want to brag, but I got a little good. Okay, not that great, but compared to some other people, I got kind of good. And then my parents got a table last Christmas. And so Kaylin and I, my daughter and I just, we love to go down there now and be like, okay, who are we taking on? We're going to challenge one another. But there is a professor of neuroscience at New York University, Dr. Wendy Suzuki. She describes ping pong this way. It brings enhanced motor functions, enhanced strategy functions, and enhanced long-term memory functions. There's a lot of strategy in the area of the prefrontal cortex that's critical not only in ping pong, but in chess. So you're like, instantly coming up with strategies. You're reacting. Your gross and fine motor skills are being engaged. And guys, it's like an aerobic workout. I don't know. Like I was playing against my dad and he's like super competitive. You're watching dad. I know you. And it's like, it gets me actually. I'm like, okay, burning up, taking off layers. Like, okay, we mean business now. It says you can burn 300 to 500 calories in a game if you are that intense. So we're talking about a really great sport here. But you don't, you don't play ping pong alone. You got to have somebody across the table from you. And that is a little bit of competition. Did you know ping pong, aka table tennis, is an Olympic sport? Did anyone here watch any of the matches last summer at the Olympics? Thank you. Thank you. Yes, I did too. So USA, no medals. That's not our sport. We got zero medals at any of the table tennis competitions. But just two months ago, in the 2021, let me read it right, World Table Tennis Championships, there was a historic moment because Lily Zhang was the first U.S. table tennis player to win a medal at this event since 1959. So she competed in a doubles match. She was paired with someone from another country, but they won the bronze medal. So here is our new hero. She's going to bring us through the ping pong in the U.S. world. Okay, so today's scripture. Today's scripture. We're going to be at a table, and it's going to be a little bit 
maybe like a ping pong match. We're going to kind of watch things go back and forth and see who is victorious. We're going to be in Luke chapter 7 today if you want to make your way there or we'll have the scripture on the screen. We are in our series called Journey of the Redeemed. This is a long journey. It's got a number of segments and our current one, as you can see on the screen, strengthen the feeble, steady the knees. All of our segments we have taken from the scripture, Isaiah 35, different phrases that describe Jesus. And in every section of his ministry that we're going to read about in the book of Luke, we see him taking on a new, a new deeper aspect because every interaction he's going to have. He not only heals people and brings forgiveness and redemption to people, he's challenging people. He's challenging us to live up to what he expects of us, to live up to the challenge of being representatives of God, learning what that means. So in every interaction, we're going to see that redemption and that challenge. We're going to be in Luke 7, and Evan is going to be reading from the New International Version And Evan, if you could read verses 36 through 39 for us. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. So we've got this scenario, this dinner party. And I don't know about you, but I'm... Even if I'm not the one hosting, but especially if I'm the one hosting, I'm always aware. I'm aware of the, of like people in the room. I'm kind of like, how do they feel comfortable? Do they look okay? Is everyone happy? I don't want anyone to feel awkward. And this guys, this is like nightmare scenario. Awkward. Like no matter, no matter the fact that like right, wrong, good, bad, but like there is tension in the room and that would stress me out. If I was just one of the guests, I would be like, I don't want to be here. I want to be here. I want to be here. Cause it just feels weird, right? Like this is strange. Now, every time I read the scripture, I'm always like, I still can't like visualize, like she's coming up behind him at his feet. Like, I don't understand this. So we've got a picture of, of an artist and I apologize because I don't know who the artist's name is of someone trying to depict what it would look like to recline at a table. It's described that back then they would have had a U shaped table, like you see here. And there is basically a table in front of everybody. See how they're like leaning. They're kind of laying, but they're leaning and there's the food. And I still don't know how they swallow while laying down. That seems very strange to me, but this is apparently what was going on. And maybe Jesus says he would have been reclining on his like left elbow and using his right hand to eat. So you would have had the bread and the wine and then like a main course you would like dip your bread in. So I guess maybe leaning and dipping. Just imagine that. Okay. So, but you see the heads are here, the feet are behind. So that is why you can imagine that the woman could come behind him and access his feet. Now it says Simon as the host, he's going to be at the very top of that. You, he's going to be the host. Now, Jesus, 
is an honored guest at this house. However, we're going to read a little later, he wasn't treated very honorably. So normally the honored guest would be right there by the host at that top of the table. But because of the way Jesus is treated, he might be somewhere along the sides. We're not sure. Now, this type of dinner was followed by discussion. And we're going to have to imagine, too, that a larger home, and that we might imagine Simon hosting such a party, would also have, like, open doors, and and there could be a courtyard outside. So it's like, you know, letting a nice breeze in. But it was customary that people might wander by, because this is like, there are some religious people gathered. They expect to have discussion, debate, right? There's big conversations that are going to happen after dinner. That's expected. So people in the community could come by and they might listen in. That was expected. So that's going to be also how we have access. Because I think in our modern day homes, if someone walks through the door and gets all the way to the table, that would be kind of hard to do. Someone would notice and stop this woman. But since there's open doors, people kind of coming by, she could kind of sneak in maybe and get a little closer than normal. And also it says that after dinner, as people were exiting, you might have the people who are in need might be able to stand outside and seek alms for the poor. Now, some think that the way this woman is described, it says she was a woman from the city and that she was sinful. Some people have interpreted to mean that she is a prostitute, but that is not necessarily the euphemism of in the city. In in the original language, there were some other euphemisms they would have used. So we don't necessarily know that that was her sin. But she's just known if she's in the city, Simon lives in the city, he might have known her. The people in this table might have known who she was. And whatever's going on in her life, she's just kind of a known quantity, if that makes sense. Now, Simon, he's described as this host, and he is a Pharisee. We have talked before. The Pharisees are the religious leaders of the community. They have a very nice status. They are seen as those that you go to to find out about God. They have studied the word. They know about the Lord. And so then they are the ones who've had the issues with Jesus. Because if Jesus is talking very intimately about knowing about God, who does that offend? It offends the Pharisees' status. So already... There's this tension here because you have a Pharisee inviting Jesus, but what is his motivation? Now, I want us to note, even if you want to flip back to the scripture, I want us to note how the story unfolds. Because if you're going to tell a story, you can tell it a certain way. And I have learned this week something fascinating. The way Luke presents this to us. So he, he presents this as a sinful woman, right? Coming in. So first of all, Certain people, now not a Pharisee, but certain people might have invited extra females to come in for negative reasons at a party. Secondly, if you want to flip to the next one, it says that she is weeping and begins to wet his feet with her tears. Does anybody remember the book of Ruth? Remember that series? Remember we studied that? Remember what feet could mean? Was this feet or was this feet? Okay, so feet was this euphemism for male genitalia. And so we already have a woman who is standing at Jesus's feet and she lets down her hair. That is at a very, that's kind of a private thing that women would do. You wouldn't do that until you were in your own house with your own spouse. 
And so we've got this description of a woman letting down hair. She's standing at his feet and she's kissing his feet. Now, a kiss would be a greeting as you would meet someone in a house. But this is like kissing and lots of kissing. So Luke is describing this to us from Simon's point of view, who would be like, is this woman trying to seduce Jesus at the dinner table? That's the perspective that Luke is trying to get us to think about. So then he moves into Jesus's perspective. Can you read verses 40 through 43? Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. So at the end of our first section, we saw that Simon was thinking, this guy's letting somebody touch him who's inappropriate. But it says that he said it to himself, but somehow Jesus knows what he's thinking. So then Jesus speaks aloud this parable to get his attention. And we say, we've got these numbers here about like owing 550. Well, one denarius was worth one day's wages for a day laborer. So we're saying someone owes 50 days worth of money and someone owes 500 days worth of money. That's a lot. If you're working every day, most of that money is going to go to feed your household. You don't have a lot left over to keep saving up to pay back what you owe. So to pay back a year and a half's worth, that's, that's a big debt. That's, that feels impossible. It may be impossible to repay. So that is what Jesus is trying to describe here. Now, he does use the word love, like who is going to love their debt collector more? That seems like a weird word. Like, okay, I get what Jesus is doing symbolically to say the love that's in this room of this woman or, or the people around Jesus. But he's saying this in a financial matter in this parable. Well, love... Uh, Luke commentary author Richard Vinson noted that love is as much an expected set of actions and a commitment as much as <clears throat> an emotion. So Jesus is describing this, this commitment, this action here. And in fact, if somebody was being received such a gift, a debt that they didn't have to pay back, it says a debtor, if they got forgiveness from a generous and a righteous creditor, then they would be bound by honor to go demonstrate their love and their gratitude in an extravagant and public way. Like that is just, that was the way of the culture. Like you have given me something that I could not do on my own. So thanking people in an extravagant way, that's a, that's okay in this culture. So what this woman is doing so publicly and extravagantly, Jesus is trying to show to Simon, his host, what do you think? Why do you think she'd do this? Why would she risk coming into this home? Why would she risk just the public scandal of it all? Because she has been forgiven a debt. 
that was an extravagant gift by Jesus. She has received some love and she's showing it in return. Let's keep reading verses 44 through 50 and see more from Jesus's point of view, because we've gotten Simon's point of view. You know, we've, we've read from Luke this story and how scandalous it could look. So now Jesus interprets it for us and let's see it from his point of view. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet. But she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman, from the time I entered, has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. Jesus, then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. When Jesus begins to describe what really happened, kind of calls Simon out here, right? Because... He sees this as a woman welcoming him in a way full of hospitality that Simon didn't give him. Jesus hasn't said anything so far, but in this moment, he's like, okay, if you're going to have a problem with her, here's what I see. Guess what? You didn't do all the things that a host would do. Now, in the Mediterranean culture, if somebody's reading this scripture early on, when Luke first wrote it, whether they were Jewish, Greek, or Roman, they're all going to notice. This is a, it's a slight. It's a slight. It's like Simon may be doing this deliberately. If you don't greet someone with a kiss, you're not offering to wash off their feet. And he's doing so to Jesus in front of all these other guests. That feels public and deliberate. Like I am shunning you on purpose. People would have felt that and noticed that. So why would he have lack of hospitality here? Hospitality was so important that later in the books of First Timothy and Titus, Paul says that the, the elders, overseers, leaders of the church are supposed to practice hospitality. They're supposed to be hospitable. Those are the people you're supposed to choose. So God values this highly and this culture values it highly. So why, why would Simon do this? Well, a couple of verses before this in Luke chapter seven, we see it says that the Pharisees were calling Jesus a glutton, a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. There was a, another scripture, another story we read a few weeks back where Jesus ate with Levi, the tax collector, and he got shamed for that. Because he was eating with the wrong people. So Simon invites him over. But he's already got his mind made up about him. You know. He's probably already got some thoughts. And so he's just kind of like. Mm, I'm not going to show you the honor that you deserve. So now let's look at the woman again. Look at her encounter. See her role. She wet my feet with her tears. Jesus said. The word here used to describe her weeping. Is like the way the rain like soaks the ground. That's a lot of tears. 
There's some heartache there. There's some, there's some relief there. There's some grief that she's going through in this moment. And it's, it's at his feet. And she doesn't care. She just, she's trying to clean off his feet because maybe she sees they're dirty. And she's like, forget it. I'm just taking down my hair and using the tools at my disposal. She doesn't even pay attention to whatever that looked like to anyone else. Didn't matter. Because she was in the presence of someone who had done something great for her. She kissed his feet in this humility. It wasn't seductive. It wasn't anything. It was, it was this humility to get down at his feet. To look at this person who'd done so much for her. Who'd noticed her, valued her, forgave her. She just sat there at his feet. That is the situation. It wasn't negative. It was that she brought her best, this perfume, and she put it on his feet. She gave him an offering in this small way back. This only thing she knew to do was that I want to do something to show publicly, extravagantly, my gratitude. And, and maybe she'd already had an interaction with Jesus. Maybe he forgave her sins then, but he wanted it known to those at the table. He looked from them to her and said, your sins are forgiven. He wanted, he wanted them to hear it. He said, go in peace. That you had faith. He says that her act of coming into his presence, of disturbing this dinner party, was an act of faith. He said, go in peace. Jesus had asked Simon, do you see her? You know, there's people who are going to come into our presence, and we are the representatives of Jesus do we see people and do they leave feeling Jesus' peace? Okay, the thing about gathering at a table is that it brings unlikely people together. Maybe you've been invited to a dinner party and there was somebody there who you never met before. or Maybe you were very different then. Maybe it wasn't always comfortable. Back to our opening, that table tennis it can bring some people together too. You think about this competition, but it brings some bonds. Just north of here in Columbus, Ohio, there's the Columbus Table Tennis Club. And the club has been around since the 1950s, and it has now 80 members. And there are people there from 23 different countries. They're from a range of 83 down to like 10-year-olds. And there's people with all kinds of physical abilities. Anne Fish, age 83, her husband is also a member. She says, from walk-ins to regulars, you look around and you see all different kinds of people you feel at home. Ahad Sarand, age 56, he's from Iran. He became American citizen in 2004. But when he was age two, he was paralyzed from polio. He won a silver medal at the 2019 Paralympic Games. And he's hoping to qualify for the 2024 games. He said he's found encouragement. My friends here have donated, helped me, and give me hope. It's so important to have people rooting for me. It's so heartwarming to see that this sport just brought all kinds of people together because they could all participate. No matter their age, no matter their background, no matter their ability, they were invited to that table. And they felt it. And you know what? Every week at church, 
we gather around at a communion table. And no matter our abilities, our experiences, where we're from or what we've done, we're invited to the table. And, you know, sometimes when we show up, there's people that are going to be at the table that we might be like, meh, I have feelings about you. Now, when the people first reading this scripture, there was probably a lot of people who read it and they need to be called out just like Simon. To be like, Simon, you need to notice the marginalized in your community. You need to see them as people. Now, I have a feeling because I know you guys. I know us as Echo family. And I know that when some of us, when we read this story, we relate to that woman showing up. Because we have felt marginalized. And I know others of us have chosen to spend our lives, our free time, our whole, like, what we choose as a job to work with and care for and bring value to the marginalized. So I don't feel like necessarily at this moment we have to be convinced to value if we met this woman. As she came to our table, right? However, we're not off the hook. I still think we all have some people, right? There's some people that may come to mind that you wouldn't want to have dinner with. And for us, it might be those in power. For us, we may not be wanting to eat with Simon, right? And when we look at the story, we may not wonder, like, who is touching Jesus' feet. We may be wondering, Why is Jesus at Simon's house in the first place? If he is a man in power and he is contributing to the marginalization of people, why is Jesus there? Because Jesus wants Simon to be forgiven as well. Jesus eats meals with sinners. We've already discovered that. Luke has told us that. He's eating with the tax collectors and those kind of sinners. But he's also eating with the elite the ones following after God who are also sinners. Everyone around that U-shaped table was a sinner. And Jesus chose to eat with, eat with them. Because what Jesus wanted Simon to realize was that he still owed 50 denarii. Just because he didn't owe 500, it didn't mean he, he wasn't forgiven of something. Jesus wants Simon to be saved. He wants to be able to say to Simon, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. He wants that peace for Simon. And how do we live as the redeemed people of Jesus? We're asking that every week in this series to say, what does this mean for us? I think we need to realize that we're all sinners invited to dinner. I rhymed just for anyone that enjoys that. Sinners invited to dinner. Now, The problem, the negative, is that we have to realize that we're sinners. And we're not saying that out of some, like, feel bad about yourself. You're awful people. No, it just means that we need to look at ourselves and say, I'm not there yet. There's ways I can grow. Because the problem is, the moment we stop thinking that we have anything to fix within our own selves, if we can't figure out how we can improve on being more like Jesus, if we can't step outside of ourselves and realize, maybe I need to think about others and learn someone else's point of view, that's the moment that we become self-centered and hardened 
And we start to look like Simon. Even when we don't mean to. So that's why we, we, that's why we say the hard things to ourselves. That's why we be like, okay, I'm not perfect. Where can I grow? That's why we make New Year's goals, right? Just like, okay, what's something better? How can I grow in Jesus this next year? But don't forget the second part. We're all sinners, but we're invited to that dinner, right with Jesus. Jesus wants to eat with us. He also wants to eat with the most haughty, arrogant, self-centered person that you can think of right now. He invites them to dinner too. Everyone, all invited to the table. Now, please note this. Um, the thing is, sometimes, sometimes there's people that we may not physically in this life eat a dinner with. Maybe someone is unsafe for us to be around, or, or maybe just in our time and priorities, we choose to eat meals with certain people. Jesus didn't eat at the dinner table with everyone, even though he loved everyone. But he sent his disciples out after him to go. So we're going to be called to interact with certain people in our lives. People who are marginalized. People who are in power. We might have those opportunities. But the thing is, even if, we're, even if we can't force ourselves to eat dinner with our greatest enemy or this, the person that we think the worst of, our goal is to hope for them. That they will find faith and have that peace. Our goal is internally to look at ourselves and think, do I want them at the table? I don't, may, may not want them in my presence now. Do I want them eternally at the table? That's what we have to try to hope for. We have to hope that they will accept that invitation, that they will allow Jesus to break their heart, to look inward. Let's have that hope for others because someday, someday, guys, we're going to be in eternity, and there's going to be some people unsuspecting. Maybe some people that we wouldn't have talked to on this earth. I hope we get to see them there in heaven. Maybe there's ping pong, and we can challenge them to an eternal game of ping pong. I don't know what heaven looks like. But I hope that there is a semblance of a table, that there's a community of us coming together, and that we'll be hopeful that we'll see some faces that we didn't expect. Every week, every week, we get to come to a table, as I said. We set up literal tables down front, and we take bread, we, we drink juice, and it's to remember that we are, Jesus came not just to teach, not just to sit and eat a meal. He came to die on a cross to say that we are all invited. His invitation came with his death and with his resurrection. And we don't want to forget that. We don't want to forget the cost. We don't want to forget that we're all invited. So this action that we take, we stand up and we walk forward and we, we eat something and drink something and take it in. It's to remember that amazing invitation that Jesus gives to everyone. So we're going to, let me, going to pray. We're going to take communion together. We're going to have people down front to serve. When you feel ready, you can come down at any point. Take the bread and the cup back to your seat. And at the end, we have places where you can put your cup on the way out. So will you pray with me? Jesus, thank you. Thank you for inviting us all to the table. We're not worthy, and help us remember that we're not worthy, but thank you for inviting us anyway.
Help us to see where we can keep growing to look more like you. Help us to hope for other people, even when we're frustrated by them. Help us to hope for them, to believe that they have the chance to change. Thank you for redeeming not just select people, but every person. Your redemption is offered to all of us, and we thank you for that. We love you, Lord. We come to you at your feet. We love you. Amen. Thank you for the gift of your attention today. If you ever want to join Echo Church in person, we meet on Sundays at 1030 a.m. You'll find us at 1301 East McMillan Street. That's in the Walnut Hills neighborhood of Cincinnati, Ohio, just up the street from our city's beautiful Eden Park. Find out more about us on our website, echochurch.org. Have a great week.